0: your Bibles up to Philippians chapter 3 if you would. I've entitled this message this morning, How Are You Walking? Since it's been several weeks since I last preached out of Philippians, I'd like to start with a brief review of this letter written by the Apostle Paul who was at the time under house arrest in Rome, awaiting his trial before the Roman emperor. As you know, he writes this very personal letter to those saints who make up the church in Philippi. Paul had a great affection for these who had come to know Christ through the church that God had planted there through, Christ, through Paul's ministry. They had in turn supported Paul in his ongoing ministry and even in his current imprisonment for the sake of Christ. As we've seen in chapter 1 of this letter, Paul refers to them as partners in the gospel and as those in which God had begun a good work and as those who are filled with With the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He acknowledges that the righteousness that the church has is that righteousness that comes to us through Jesus Christ. It's not a righteousness that is our own. It's his righteousness, and it is credited to us to the glory and praise of God. To him be all the glory. So, Christ is the source of their divine righteousness. He is the source of their love, their grace, their spiritual strength. Paul then goes on to encourage them in Philippians 1.27. Let me turn there, read that to you. Philippians 1.27, he encourages them, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So the righteousness comes to us through Christ, Through Christ alone, we are credited with His righteousness. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But then Paul says, live it out. Live accordingly. I want to hear that you are standing firm on the promises of God. And with one mind, you're striving side by side, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the glory of God. Paul continues this theme in chapters 2 and 3. In chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, Paul reminds us of just what lengths Jesus went to to save us. In fact, let me read that passage. Hard not to stop and read Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Listen to what Paul writes. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As Pastor Don alluded to earlier, this is the lengths to which the Son of God went. He came down from His glory in heaven to become a human being, to live in a sinful, fallen world. And then to lay down his own life as a sacrifice for you and for me. For everyone who trusts in him for salvation. He bore the penalty for our sins. Paid the price. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And Paul goes on to acknowledge Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the plan, the glorious plan of God. This leads then to Paul encouraging in verses 12 and 13 to live out their salvation by the power of God that now dwells within them. Look at verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, it's the Spirit of God who dwells within the believer that changes our will. Before he did that, our will was for ourselves, to do what pleased us, what glorified us. Now, we have a will to do what pleases him, what glorifies him. And, He supplies the power to do so. But we still need to live it. Work it out, he says. And then he goes on to describe what that should look like in the next few verses. Then in chapter 3, he shares with him his own example of how God saved him and set him free from his old life of living for the things of this world and how God set him on the path of living for Christ and for Christ's kingdom. Paul presents himself as an example that they and we should follow. And this is the focus coming into the passage that we're going to examine today together. So let us hear what our Lord has to say to us today. Please stand, if you're able, for the reading of our text. We're reading from Philippians 3, verses 17 through 21. This is God's word to us. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. May God bless the reading of his word to us. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but I have had both good and bad examples in my life. You name it, I've had good examples, I've had bad examples. And I thank God for his wisdom and grace at work in my life that most of the time allowed me to follow the good examples and not the bad. So in our text we will see, first, Paul's call to imitate him in our walk. But second, a warning not to follow those who are, in fact, enemies of the cross. And third, a reminder to follow those who are citizens of Christ's kingdom. First, Paul's powerful admonishment to imitate him in our walk. And that word walk in the Greek, it's in our manner of living. It's how we live. Peripetuo in the Greek means to, literally it means to walk, but we understand that it means to walk about in this world. Paul's instruction here, join in imitating me, and his reference to the example that you have in us. This calls our attention to the strategy of teaching by example. And we've seen Paul use this throughout this letter. We learn not simply through reading and teaching, but we also learn by example, don't we? We learn sometimes better by example than we do by reading or listening. So Paul is in essence saying, together, as a church, together, imitate me. Think as I think. Do as I do. Pursue what I pursue. Paul had written the same thing to other churches. To the Corinthians he wrote, in 1 Corinthians 4.16, I urge you then be imitators of me. And later in that same letter, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he writes these words, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul's desire was to live for Christ in such a way that his life would then serve as an example to follow. And that as someone follows Christ, that is an example for us to follow. Now listen to me. Paul is not putting himself up on some pedestal of spiritual perfection. In this very letter, he's already stated that he has not yet arrived at full conformity to Christ. And neither has anyone else on this planet. Instead, he's encouraging the Philippians to follow his example as an imperfect sinner. As he pursued the goal of conformity to Christ and living for Christ's glory. Had he been, had he been perfected, he would not serve as an example that we could follow because we need to follow someone who's not yet perfect. Does that make sense? So we can see how to deal with our imperfections, how to handle the struggles of life, including its trials, temptations, and disappointments. The Apostle Paul was a man, a human being like you and I. But his focus was to live for Christ and for his glory. And then moving beyond himself, Paul encourages them to watch other godly examples who are also following his example. Others such as Timothy and Epaphroditus that he'd already named earlier in the letter. As well as the elders and deacons in their own church who he'd also mentioned earlier in this letter. God is calling all of us here to be careful, to be intentional and deliberate in finding godly examples to follow. We need to follow those who love Jesus and in whom God is working to fully conform them to Christ. We need to watch them, how they live, how they work, how they treat others, how they conduct themselves as witnesses, how they respond to sorrows and trials and tribulations how they aim to glorify Christ in all of these situations and then follow their example and in so doing become an example for others to follow. That's the way it works, folks. That's what discipleship is all about. We are to live By following the examples that God has provided for us. And then we ourselves are to become an example to others. Paul then follows this powerful admonition with a warning against following the wrong examples. Avoid following Christ's enemies. Look at verses 18 and 19 with me again. For many, not a few, many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Pause there for a second. Look at me. Unfortunately, they're not wearing a baseball cap that says enemies of the cross. These are false teachers. These are Christian pretenders. Okay? And there are many. Paul says, be careful. Paul is painfully aware there are many who claim to be followers of Christ, even teachers of Christ, who do not know him as Lord, but are instead deceivers of men. False teachers, false examples who deny the finished work of Christ, whose lives are filled with personal pleasure and earthly things. These are the things that they are living for. Paul is well aware that such individuals exist. And he's warning with tears that believers should not follow their examples. Now, students of Scripture over the centuries have reached different conclusions about the possible identity of these dangerous role models. Some of the church fathers and later commentators believe that Paul is still speaking of the Judaizers, those Jews who were trying to impose the Old Testament law upon Christians. Or, on the other hand, many believe that the danger posed here is not legalism, but the opposite. Antinomianism, the abandonment of law for the pursuit of physical pleasures. Whatever the specific identity of these people, which we cannot know, and I think that's intentional because it doesn't really matter which group it is. They're not people that we should follow. So Paul tells us here three things that we should examine to discern if they are bad examples for us to follow. He gives us three things to examine in a person's life, in a teacher's life. First, do they live as enemies of the cross of Christ? As we've already established in this worship service today, Jesus did for us upon the cross what we could not do for ourselves. And what he did is the foundation for both faith and practice. It is at the center of both sound doctrine and sound living. So we need to ask, what does this person teach about the cross? What place does the cross have in their life and ministry? Is the gospel of Christ front and center, first and foremost in their preaching and teaching? Can they say, as Paul does, But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The Apostle Paul was a cross-centered teacher, cross-centered preacher. There was nothing more important to him than what Christ had accomplished upon the cross. This is the first test that he gives to us. Where the cross is denied, minimized, or ignored, there is an enemy of the cross. Second, he describes them as those whose God is their belly or their flesh, or their physical passions. Note, it's little g, God. Okay? The word here translated as belly probably has the broader meaning of sensual appetites, including food, alcohol, drugs, sex, entertainment. So not only is the doctrine of the cross denied by them or ignored by them, but so are the commands of God to holy living. Do they teach or live a lifestyle of indulgence or one of self-denying devotion to God and self-sacrificing love for others, such as Paul lived? God has called us to crucify the flesh in regards to its lusts. He has called us to not live for ourselves, but for Christ. Amen? We need to examine these examples, these individuals, to see if this is the reality in their lives. And third... He describes them as those whose minds are set on earthly things. Unlike Paul, their minds are not set upon Christ and his kingdom first and foremost, but on earthly things such as fame, fortune, and possessions. They not only think about the things of this world, note this, but they set their minds upon them. Acquiring earthly things becomes their motivation, which is exactly the opposite of Paul, who in this very letter said he was willing to give up all things for the sake of knowing Christ. In John's letter, in 1 John chapter 2, he warns us, he says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. And so if we're going to follow examples, we don't want to follow examples who have their minds set on earthly things, but on the eternal things. Amen? So Paul warns, do not imitate these individuals, for their end is destruction. And end here indicates their ultimate destiny. They may be very prosperous in this life. They might achieve fame and fortune in this life. They might enjoy their best life now in this life. But their end is eternal destruction. Their end is eternal conscious punishment. Do not follow their example. Instead, follow the example of those who are citizens of God's heavenly kingdom. Fellow true citizens of Christ's kingdom. Look at verses 20 and 21 with me. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul here states that he and every other true believer who are in Christ are citizens of heaven. This is not the first time he's mentioned that in this letter. Christians are exiles, or aliens, in this world. Our true home is in Christ, in the very presence of God. Therefore, we must not focus on the things of this world, but on the things of heaven. Paul wrote this very clearly in his letter to the Colossians. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, listen to what he wrote. If then... You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That sounds familiar. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. So we are to die to the things of this world. We're to live for the eternal things. So unlike the false believers, our God in heaven is ruling over all of creation. And we glory in him. And our minds are not set on earthly things, but on heavenly things, on Christ, who is our Savior and Lord. Paul here applies to Jesus two titles that the Philippians, as citizens of Rome, would have heard applied to the Roman emperor. Don't know if you're aware of this or not, but the Roman emperor was referred to by two titles Savior and Lord. In fact, all Roman coins that were minted in the Greek provinces bore the image of the emperor and included two Greek titles, Soter and Kyrios, Savior and Lord. Now, how could that be? How could the Roman people of the Roman Empire think that their emperor was their Savior and Lord? Well, in times of local disasters, earthquakes, famines, and floods, the citizens of the empire looked to the emperor to be their savior. And all citizens of the empire looked to the emperor and addressed their emperor as lord and were to submit to his authority over them. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Don't people in this country look to the government to be their savior and submit to the government as their lord? But then, as in now, everyone knew that the emperors were only men. And listen to me, they came and went, sometimes fairly quickly. In contrast... The citizens of Christ's kingdom have an eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, divine Savior and Lord. Amen? And we await and look forward to His return in power and in glory when He will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorified resurrection body. By the power that He has already been given, to subject all things to himself. Hallelujah, what a Savior. This powerful reality is what we are to focus upon. Instead of focusing on satisfying the desires of our flesh, we focus upon Christ and the glory that awaits us. Instead of striving after earthly things that will perish, we strive after the eternal heavenly things which are ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are already citizens of the heavenly kingdom in Christ. But one day when Jesus returns in glory, we shall receive our glorified bodies and our full inheritance in that eternal kingdom. Amen? So let me remind you of what Paul had previously written on this very topic to the Corinthians. If you'd like to, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 15 with me. If not, you can just listen. It will not be on the screen. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58. I tell you this, brothers... The power of sin is in the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus defeated sin and death by dying in our place on the cross and by rising again from the dead. And he lives now in his glorified human body forever. And so will all who put their faith and trust in him. And even here in this passage, in verse 58, Paul then gives the application. He says to them, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Once again, Paul ends this glorious promise with an admonition. In light of all that Jesus has done to save us, and in light of all that he will do to give us victory over death, Paul admonishes us to live for him, to be steadfast upon his promises, to be immovable and to be abounding in the work of the Lord, which is a proper response for those that have received such mercy and grace and love. Amen? We are all called to live our lives in this manner, and those who do become role models for the rest of us, and we should imitate them. We should follow their example. Paul loved his Philippian brothers and sisters. And he wants them to follow his example in living for Christ and for Christ's kingdom so that they might experience all of the blessings that Christ has for them. In like manner, I love each and every one of you who make up this church, our family, And I want you to follow Paul's example and admonitions so that you might experience all of the blessings that Christ has for you. So join with me and with one another as together we imitate the examples that God has given to us. And together we avoid following Christ's enemies And instead, follow the example of the true citizens of Christ's kingdom. And in so doing, become godly examples ourselves. My desire for you is that you would be able to join with me in declaring, as Paul did, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. For these.